Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Alamayas Everton podcast. As always, it's a busy one. Coming up this week, over 40 years involved at Everton. Coach driver, painter and decorator and kit man, Jimmy Martin looks back on an incredible career at the club. And from the days when a box of Daz did the trick to running a very different operation with the demands of the Premier League club. We'll hear from the one and only Jimmy Martin, the godfather of kit men. Following a fantastic Women's World Cup, we'll hear from Everton coach Willie Kirk as he gears up for what's sure to be a landmark season in women's football and in the WSL. And with the legend that is Neville Southall, who amongst other things tells us the best decision he ever made in football in a new feature called the Quickfire Quiz. And in a few minutes, Leighton Baines will be talking about signing his new contract, Lucas Dean and his love of photography. All that coming up in the next hour or so. I know I spoil you. And talking of spoiling you, let's start with our regular chat with the Echo's Everton reporter, Adam Jones, and the wonderful Paul Wheelock. Um, listen, we'll hear from Leighton Baines in a moment. Um, quite interesting, he talks about how uh, he dealt with the challenge of of Lucas Dean last season, which is which is quite interesting. Um, but first of all, the trip to Kenya, the first pre-season match, Adam, and what do you think Everton got out of that? What did we learn from that? I think it's you've just got to look at it as some sort of fitness exercise, really, haven't you? And think uh, anybody who look like watched that whole ninety minutes, it was very clear that you know Kariobangi Sharks, you know they weren't the, of the quality of Everton, but they were a lot, a lot fitter, and uh, that was that was the difference at, at the end of the day. Uh, I think it's worth watching. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching just for their penalty celebrations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still don't know whether he's got a hamstring or not. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't They're know. absolutely quality. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think in, in particular in the second half, it was a really good chance for Marco Silva to have a look at some of the youngsters that he might not have. Uh, Joe Williams in particular, he was someone that Silva was quite keen on looking at last season until he picked up that injury, which ruled him out of pre-season. So this is another chance for Silva to have a good look at him. Obviously scored a very nice free kick as well, so that won't have done him any harm at all. Uh, Lewis Gibson p- played 88 minutes, and I thought he was v- very solid, to be honest. I think he, you know, he made a couple of blips here and there, but I think every player at the start of pre-season is going to be doing that. Uh, Nathan Broadhead as well, uh, coming off the bench. Uh, so early on in place of Adam Ola-Luchman I thought he was really really bright uh, unlucky not to get himself on the score sheet in the second half really good fingertip save from the keeper to stop that and uh, Fraser Hornby as well when he came on thought he looked uh, looked lively lively sorry uh, obviously a big physical unit isn't he and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see what happens with him this summer so yeah I think it's just a really good chance for Silva to have a you know a proper good look at these lads in you know quite an interesting environment and a chance for Lossell as well in the second half to have a little look at him as well oh yeah absolutely I think uh, 
you know, we'll have seen little bits and bobs of him from uh, Huddersfield over the past couple of seasons. But uh, I'll have to be honest, I have not seen a lot, a lot of him uh, as a player apart from when he's playing against Everton. Uh, so yeah, it was nice to have a little look at him in the Everton shirt. I don't think he had all that much to do in that in that second half. But from what he did have to do, we thought I thought he looked quite comfortable. Uh, I'll hopefully be looking to see him get a few more minutes under his belt over the next few weeks, you know, as pre-season progresses, uh, you know, like to FC FCC on and uh, Monaco next up, uh, try and get him some minutes there and see if he can get tested a little bit more. And Paul, as far as pre-season games go, you know, we've all, we all, as Evertonians, we still want to win, don't we? Uh, you know, even if it's a pre-season and we all, you know, we get down whether we like it or not. And we all tell ourselves it's not about the the results, you know, it's about the fitness. But what is it, you know, what, what should we be looking for, do you think, in this pre-season with Everton? Well, I thought we were going to win the league after winning 22 last <laughs> 23 <laughs> last summer. <laughs> exactly. So this has kept me calm, this one, to be fair, uh, to run with the Kenyan side. No, I think, really, the, the difference between this season and, and last season, I truly trust in Marco Silva not that I didn't trust in him last season but we know what he's about now we know what this squad's about so I'm a lot more relaxed if we see results and like we've seen at the weekend where a draw and then losing on penalties I'm going to be completely fine about it going into the season I'm with Adam really I'm I'm really interested to see what these young players are going to be like because it's pretty clear we're trying to move out some of the high earners who are not playing or some of the dead wood there we've seen Sandro go obviously Ashley Williams has had his contracts expire and he's left the club I really do believe that in the longer term under Marcel Brands we're going to see people like Joe Williams as the backup to your Andre Gomez's and Tom Davis's and, and Morgan Snylands and Idrissa Guy so I think this is a, a really good opportunity so going forward I hope we actually get to see more of those maybe more than the Niasses of this world and that's that's no offence to Umar but we know his future is probably away from the club and I think you know with these young players now you know, we've got a team who won the double, you know, effectively last year, not effectively, but did win mm. the double last year. Um, and I think decisions on younger players now are being made much earlier. Mm. And I think we've got to see that this season. You know, we've we've had a number of players sort of who've been around for a good few years, you know, like Sir Matthew Pennington, like Sir Kieran Dowell, and, and people keep wondering what's going to happen with them. We've got to start seeing some decisions too, haven't we, I think, on these players? Well, I think, as I mentioned, some of the performances that they've put in, uh, like uh, yesterday as we're recording this on uh, on Monday, uh, you know, they I'd, I'd say some of the youngsters put in better performances than, you know, a lot of the regular first team players yeah. that were performing. You know, like we mentioned, the Aster, I think Hornby looked a bit more promising than the ass did. You know, I think Broadhead was probably the best player on the pitch when he came on. So, you know, it, it's it's quite obvious to me that there's a lot of players in that under-23 squad are ready to make that step up to first-team football. Now, whether that's with Everton or whether that's on loan somewhere, uh, that's yet to be seen, obviously. But I think it's, it's time to be making these sort of decisions. Like, you know, Lewis Gibson, he's only 18 years old, but he looked so promising that you know if he does get this like loan move let's say to like a league one a championship sort of side get some minutes under his belt imagine the kind of player that he could be you know in the next couple of years you know when he wants to start making that breakthrough to the Everton first team and that's the kind of decisions that Marcel Brands will be thinking about and I'm sure David Unsworth has been thinking about that for some time now you know we were asking him at the end of last season you know are you expecting some sort of reshuffle again of your squad and he was saying well yeah, yeah. He mentioned in particular Anthony Evans, who he thinks is ready for first team football, whether that's at Everton or elsewhere. Obviously, so uh, I'm sure there'll be another, 
a number of other players on his mind in that kind of sense as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kinds of decisions get made. OK, so we're talking about young players there, but let's talk about an older player and someone who, um, I don't think you'd mind me saying that, but he is older than the ones we're talking about. Um, but Leighton Baines, who signed a new contract another year at the club, and I went down to Finch Farm this week to talk to him about um, about signing that new contract, but also about how he dealt with the challenge of um, Lucas Dean last season and sort of pretty much a f- first challenge he's ever really had in his time at Everton at left-back. And this is what he had to say. Well, Leighton, first of all, um, you made a decision just lately to, to sign another year. How difficult a decision was that for you? Um, I think it was more just giving myself a bit of space to, um, I think, just to re- to think about um, what I thought I could still offer. And, and, and from, from that point, we really wanted to still um, be in a position to obviously feel like you can you can help the team if needs be and, and help the squad in general. So it was I've always been mindful of that and sort of not wanting to outstay my welcome, so to speak. And it was just um yeah, just giving myself a bit of bit of space to to figure that out and then obviously knowing that um you know, while I'm here I'll always be sort of living my life by football and doing the right things and wanting to and deciding really that it, it it's always better to to obviously leave, leave it all out there, so to speak, and 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 not, um, yeah, not decide to sort of jump the gun and and sort of walk away from it too quickly. And I guess you know, at your time of your career, people look and see other players going off to China and America and all these places. Was that ever a temptation for you? Um, there was never really anything sort of. Happening in the outside of obviously, I was speaking to the manager, speaking to Marcel, yeah, and there was not really anything else happening outside of that, so not really, no. No, um, as far as your you know, your place in the team, you know, obviously, Luca Dean did well last season. Um, has he got a fight on his hands next season to, to keep that position? Uh, who knows, you know, as I say, he done really well last year and you know, come in, done a great job. And you know, deserve to be in the team regularly. So, I think for me, I just always look at it as, like I said before, um, doing all the right things day to day, and being ready if you needed, and and waiting for those opportunities if they if they do come. But you've never had a challenge yet, have you? Really, in your career, you've sort of just really cemented that left back position. How did you deal with that last season? How did you cope with that yourself? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't that sort of difficult in terms of the day to day. It's just you know match days. It's a, it's a big shift, but say the day to day stuff, it didn't change much for me. Um, I still prepare like I'm going to play, even if I know, even if we've done the team and I know I'm not. I still prepare like I'm going to play because I might have to after two minutes into a game. So in that respect, it doesn't change much. On a match day, it just means um, you try to be a bit more available to the group. Because um, you're obviously not playing yourself, and you're not doing your due diligence if that's watching clips and and trying to sort of visual do some visualization or whatever you do. It's um, it's more the case of being available to the others and trying to support the group. Uh, we've seen Jags move on to Sheffield United. Um, I get that must be a great move for him, that wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure he's. I haven't spoken to him. I'm sure he's over the moon, obviously, to to go back there. I know it was a 
a place he enjoyed and you know he had fond memories of his time there so um, I'm sure he'll be happy to go back and I'm sure he'll improve them as well What's the aim uh, for Everton do you think this season because you see you look around you see Manchester United in transition you see Arsenal in transition is there, is there a gap there do you think? There's definitely a possibility you look at um, you know how we did last season and and sort of the contrast really in sort of how we did in that middle period where we struggled and how, and how we finished and we know that if we'd have um, just been ourselves and done what we were capable of through that middle period we'd certainly have picked up more points so when you look at you say bridging that gap we know that there's room for improvement on on that area last year so we can definitely pick up more points and hopefully that would put us in the mix there um, and as far as your experience is concerned, the likes of you, the likes of Seamus now, are, are you that sort of type in the dressing room, you know, where you'll use that experience, you'll be voice, you've never really been shy, have you, to, to, to speak your mind? No, not, not within, you know, the context of, of a dressing room and, and things like that. Um, it's kind of what we're here for and everyone has their own, their own way of sort of doing things and I'm not, uh, like always going to be a screamer and shouter but I am always going to be a talker and like I say um, part of the role part of the responsibility of you know having played a lot of games and having been at the football club for a long time like I say is supporting the other lads and, and trying to you know harness that experience that you, you've you've gathered over time and try and spread that out amongst, amongst the group where you can uh, Just finally um I know you love your music, uh, but just lately, I believe photography has come into your life. How's that happened? Um, yeah, it's kind of always been there, on and off. I think um, I remember back to you know my Wigan days. I used to start travelling around with a sort of little handheld video camera and a little compact camera back then. So it's always kind of been there, uh, and I think yeah, more recently sort of picked it back up and got back into it yeah so it yeah it just keeps me is it a hobby or is it something you want to progress with or something you want to do professionally one day maybe oh it's just a hobby but I tend to if I do things I try to take, I tend to take it quite seriously um, so yeah it is just a hobby at the moment but it, it's fun um, but like I say once I start to uh, do something I like to figure it out properly <laughs> so I went back to um just using old film cameras and shooting film and developing film and things like that. So, yeah, it gives me gives me something to do when I'm not obviously doing the doing the day job or looking after the kids. I look forward to seeing the movie one day. <laughs> Thanks, Leighton. Appreciate nice it. Nice one. No, it is. So, Paul Leighton Baines there. We'll talk about his photography in a minute, <laughs> um, which I thought I found fascinating. Actually, yeah. you know, he's kind of deep. Deep, deep guy is uh, Leighton and it's really really good to have a conversation with him um, but as far as he, him dealing with that match day experience and you know it's got to be difficult hasn't it when you've been in the side for that long and, and, and you've got someone as good as Lucas Dean comes along and, and all of a sudden just you know do you think he'll give a real challenge towards Dean this year? Yeah, I think it will. I think it's hard and probably easy in, 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 in a certain respect. So I'll try and explain that hard in the respect that, you know, he's been our left back for England, for Everton and England for a number of years. But it may have made it easier the fact that he would have seen with his own eyes how good 
a player Luca Dean was so like if you're going to lose your place at least there's some kind of safe uh, comfort in knowing that you've actually lost your place who's probably going to be a long term replacement for a number of years to come uh, but what I think's great about him the fact that he's still clearly a good good enough player for Everton he must know that he must have looked at it and thought you know why should I go down to say the championship or why should I go down to a club who's going to struggle to stay in the Premier League when it may only take one injury or a suspension and then if he gets his place back who knows he might keep his place uh, and it, it's just quite interesting I was listening to one of our other podcasts uh, Phil Kirkbride did over in Kenya with Leon Osman and he was talking about Bainsey and he was saying like he's, he's one of those players where he has to stay fit all the time so his pre-season's like basically the time in between the end of the season actually coming back to Finch Farm and I thought that was a good insight into him as, as, as well as the interview that you've done with him there Alan because it shows you just what a top class professional he is and I think he'll back himself I really do otherwise he, he probably would have left and that's that's important in the dressing room for both him for both the younger players but also the manager can get so much from Leighton Baines can't he well yeah the, the manager has always made clear that he makes so many of his decisions based on what happens in training and you know Leighton Baines has just said there you know he, the day to day challenge doesn't really change for him he's still going to Finch Farm every day he's still putting in the exact same amount of work rate that he has done for the last 12 years and you know I think it just speaks how much of a consummate professional that he is, that he, like, you know, one of the first words that he said to you was, well, Luca Dean absolutely deserved it. Because, you know, he he, he can just see that, you know, Luca Dean is a, such a promising young player that, you know, he will be Leighton Baines' replacement for years and years to come. And it's really good that Baines can see that. He doesn't take any, uh, any sort of you know, bad feeling about that at all. Like, he just gets up and gets on with it and he didn't get that sense at all from him well yeah exactly he's just like okay well that's this is this is my job now I'm here to support the rest of the players I'm here to give it my all in training and if I'm needed in the team then here I am and the manager will love to see that and as you say the younger players will love to see that as well it'll be a, a nice little lesson for them you know if you're not making it into the first team you keep putting in that work and you know you will get rewarded at some point and the photography I mean, yeah, we want to see this, don't we? Yeah, get the book out. <laughs> get the book out. But it's, it's, he is just like a man of many talents, isn't he? He's either a photography or he'll join a band or like, I think when he, what was interesting, I think we mentioned on the Raw Blue podcast as well, like, you know, when he was talking about how Brands, he sat down with him and talked about his vision for the club. I wonder if you ever see like Leighton Baines as Marcel Brands as number two or something like that. You wouldn't put it past him, would you really? No, no, he's got he's got something about him, which, you know, because we spoke away from the microphone as well and, and it was just an interesting conversation about about how he sees things in life, you know, and he's a massive music lover, we know that. Um, and, and it's great to have those, I think it's good to have those people around the dressing room and around the club who can broaden their conversation and and, mm. and, and, and help other... I remember Tony Grant talking about when he was at the club, he helped players who, say, foreign players who were coming in, you know, and, and helped them integrate themselves into the club. And I think Baines is a prime example of that. Does he strike you as someone who could go into coaching quite easily? Um I don't know, to be honest. It's a good question, that. Mm. I don't know. Um, but what I would say on that is in my, my experience, in my time, the ones who you thought were going to be great coaches and were quite vociferous and, you know, and out there were never really good coaches or managers. Mm. Whereas the ones, the quiet ones who, you know, I mean, just look at Moyes for a, for a start. You know, as a player, he wasn't out there. He wasn't someone who was very, he was quite a, you know, a, a quiet player as, as far as, himself outgoing wise um, and, and then he, you know he makes a great manager and, and I think you know there are examples like that 
that prove the uh, you know prove you you're wrong in many ways. But mm. so he's a thinker. So that that mm. might be something you know. I mean, one of the great. Uh, coaches I've seen is Scott Gemmell, mm-hmm. young up and coming yeah. coaches up with the under twenty ones in Scotland, and he was a very very quiet guy. You'd never have thought he would make a goat coach, and, and he's getting rave reviews at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, what I mean, do you think? Do you think he might make a, a coach? Well, well, I think what struck me like about your chat with him is that he was like, oh well, in the dressing room, I'm not always you know going to be the shouter, but I'm always somebody who's going to you know talk to people and like speak my mind. And I thought that 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 was. And that's something the game that kind of, now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was so, changed, hasn't it? Yeah, that was something that kind of struck me as, you know, he, he could be like that understanding mind in a, in a sort of dressing room. And, uh, you know, I think I'd, I'd hate to see Everton lose that sort of voice and opinion if, like, in if in a year then he does decide to hang up his boots or leave the club or whatever. Like, I think it like it would would be a loss to the dressing room. So I'd be interested to see if he tried to take that into, like, the coaching side of things. I'd like to see it happen. Well, as always, thanks, Adam. I appreciate the time. Paul, thanks for being here. It's been good stuff. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, last week I sat down with Neville Southall ahead of a night at the Winslow. Quite an enjoyable evening it was too. Um, And we just spoke uh, briefly about Everton and what his views are with uh, the end of last season, winning those few games against the likes of Arsenal, against the likes of Manchester United, and what Neville thought we've got ahead of us when you look back at those games. Yeah, I'm not. I'm never over bothered what happens at the end of the season. To be fair, once you avoid relegation like we did, then people can relax and play. I want them to relax and play that from the beginning of the season. You know, and I, I want to see the real people that are going to turn up. But I do think you know if he's got a bit of time to get bend the team down again get a few more signings maybe just another couple you don't need loads um, but if you can get a, you know a real good player up front then I think you've got half a chance of finishing in the top six I think the ambition is to win the league this year because there's no point in doing anything else and I'd be gutted if I hear anything about finishing the top four um, as far as uh, the players that came in last season, you know, there's sort of five senior players. Is second season better for them? Is it, you know, is it, they've had a chance to settle in. Does that help them? Yeah, I think time. I think physically, you know, it's, it's a hard league to play in. I think. Um, so yeah, physically, uh, mentally, yes, and sometimes people like actually as he looks at his comedy, gets the club. Not every player gets the club. So him to come in and do that, I think he's been a hit for everybody, especially the women by all the sounds of it. So it's everyone I read on Twitter, they love him so and he never mentioned football. So yeah, I, I think he's done well and he's settled down really, really well. Charleston's done well, left back's done great. You know, so I thought the signs were there that we could play a bit. We just need to be really, really consistent and we need to be ruthless. And we've got to start to be ruthless because we're not going to get anything and be all matey-matey because we, uh, we we beat the big teams and, and get beat by the small teams. We've got to be ruthless. And I think Everton's biggest problem for the next two seasons is not signing people. It's getting rid of people. And I think it's going to take an awful lot of money to get rid of the people that he does them on. But at the moment, we're at, we're at a position where maybe he's going to have to do more work to get rid of people and he used to sign people. But people have got to understand that. You know, we're in a position where... It might take another 50, 100 million to get rid of people. And if that needs doing it, I'd rather spend it now than in a year's time when they've hung around and, and hampered the progress. So clear the decks now and then start afresh. I don't know whether Tony wants to hear that, but you've got to start someone. You've got to clear the decks. We've had too many managers and 
too short space of time and we've got to clear the decks of getting what he wants. And the good thing is he signed a younger player, so whoever comes in, they will be younger players and he will be able to work with them and hopefully they won't be set in stone, set in stone their attitude to some of the older players who who maybe didn't do so well for us. Well, as Neville says there, I'm sure those lads will, will benefited from last season and I think we'll see even more from him in the current season. Now, we sat with Neville and we're starting a new feature uh, this week, um, which is called the Quick Fire Quiz, where I'm going to th- fire questions at uh, some of the older players, uh, the former players that we speak to throughout the, uh, throughout the podcast. And uh, we threw a few questions at him and he didn't let us down. The teammate you trusted the most? Kevin Cliff. Opponent you avoided the most? None of them. Favourite boots? Uh, high tech. High tech. Manager or coach you had most respect for? Howard. Manager or coach you wished you would have played for? Brancloff. Favourite away dressing room? Uh, go on, Leeds. A position you would have played for if not your own? Midfield. Biggest mistake you ever made in your career? Uh, being introduced to Mike Walker. Best decision you made in your career? I'm going to Torquay. <laughs> Most prized football possession you've got? I haven't got one. Club that you could have joined but didn't? Um, I'll come to Freddie Pye, Wigan. A player you'd pay to watch now? Messi. A player Everton should have bought? Messi. <laughs> the thing you most like about football? Um, most of it these days, the end. <laughs> the thing you most hate about football? Um, the diving and the cheating. Uh, the thing, oh sorry, best save you ever made for Everton? Don't have one. You don't have one? No. Uh, if you weren't a footballer, what sport would you play? Uh, underwater snooker. <laughs> this will have to be cut. <laughs> Biggest lesson you've learned in the game? Don't take yourself too seriously. And last one, how would you like to be remembered? He did okay. Well, they are Neville. Who would have known his best decision in football was going to Torquay? Um, He's hard work, isn't he, at times? Uh, But um, that's the quick fire quiz, and we'll be getting another one uh, next time uh, on the podcast, and uh, we'll see who can beat Neville. I think he was around about 30 seconds in all, so let's see who uh, who can better that. Now, when I began my reporting career over 25 years ago, I'd often report on the women's game. I remember watching the FA Cup final against Doncaster Bells before Everton's women's side was even adopted by the club officially. It was a tough time for women's football, certainly from a funding point of view, but having just enjoyed a fantastic World Cup finals tournament, next season is a huge one for the women's game. Everton are going to be part of that, I'm sure. This week, I sat down with manager Willie Kirk just after he'd returned from watching a few of the games in France. It's been massively impressive, I think. You know, despite being in the women's game four years ago at the last World Cup, it was tough to watch on TV. Uh, and I, I said at the time it was just it was very much a live game. The women's game, you had to watch it live to enjoy it. But this World Cup has been completely different. You know, the standards and the improvements in four years has been incredible to see. And I'm 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 enjoying games and I'm I'd be watching the games now even if I wasn't in the women's game because they're actually enjoyable to watch. So, and I think the whole nation's found that. You know, if you look at the viewing figures, they've shot through the roof. So everybody must be enjoying. Obviously, England winning, but uh, but the games in general. Um, you've also signed a a World Cup finalist, I think, in the last week or so, haven't you? Yeah, we have. <laughs> so we've 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 already got one. Nessa Kagman's in the squad as well, although she's not been on the pitch yet. 
so we had Nessa, but we've obviously seen Kika Vanessa as well. So uh, Everton's got two players in the World Cup final, which is uh, I don't know the last thing that's that can be said. Um, as far as recruitment, how difficult is it in the the women's game? Because you know, I spoke to a number of sort of women's referees uh, and, and people, like, and they talked about the the level of investment in the big teams. You know, the the sort of Manchester Cities. When I say big team, as in financial, you know, size. How difficult is it to recruit? Well, you know, there's there's aspects of it really difficult, and there's aspects of it getting a lot easier. Obviously, your own your own personal club's budget comes into it, and and the club have done a lot in supporting us to, to try and make sure we can be as competitive as we can but you know, a lot of the, improve, the budget increases have been around improving the way we work and not just players the, the, real, the real bonus for us is regardless of where we finished in the league in the last two years that's been second bottom is that we can still attract players because players want to come to England it's very much in line now with, England, with the men's game you know the Premier League attracts top players from across the world so, you know, as we've we're close to signing another European player, hopefully that's close to getting over the line. So, uh, yeah, I think the English game is getting so competitive. England national team doing well is helping. English teams doing well in the Champions League is helping. Uh, the Barclays deal that was announced just before the World Cup is helping. The competitiveness of the league, I think, you know, before I came in, uh, you know, Everton drew with Chelsea early in the season. You know, in, in a lot of leagues in the women's game across the world, you know, second bottom will not take points off second top. There's such a disparity, but I think the competitiveness in the in the WSL is getting huge and it's attracting players from from all over. And what is the bigger picture then? You know, that you saw that player and you know what what, what yeah, is the big picture? I think here? I think the bigger picture is uh, we've got a a real strong philosophy of developing players, developing a team. I think the way we want to play football is attractive to a lot of a lot of people, uh, and and I think the obviously being at Finch Farm as part of that project that's a huge attraction. You know if we can if we can agree financials, and then all that's left to do is sell the club to the player as soon as they come through the security uh, gate, it's like oh wow, mm. and then you see you show them the quality of the grass pitches, and then you show them the quality of the gym. And then, you know, you start adding in the bits and pieces, so breakfast and lunch that we do now. We've done a lot of work on the changing room. Uh, you know, there's a whole bigger picture now. Uh, access to the recovery pool. You know, we travel very well. We stay in really good hotels. So, you know, we we make sure the players feel a million dollars. A professional if, way about it. Yeah, yeah, we've not got a million dollars in the bank for everything that we do, but we make the players feel a million dollars, and I think that's really important. And we've got a young, vibrant squad, and and you know we're ambitious in terms of we want to instead of people talk about a top three or a top four, we want people to talk about a, a top five, and that includes Everton. Mm. Um, as far as the women's game, you alluded to to before with the World Cup. Um, I remember when I started some of my reporting many years ago uh, with the women's game. Um, Doncaster Bells against Arsenal. People like Marianne Spacey and people like that. You know, yeah, yeah. I used to watch cup finals and 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 it was uh, you know, I think the game was a raw game at the time. You know, there wasn't a lot of investment in it. it was, but but as you said to, be, to before, you know, the quality is really impressed now. Has that been good from a coach's point of view as well? Yeah, it's great because it challenges you as a coach because the players are getting better. The players are, 
starting playing football at younger age. So, you know, in the past, you know, they might have been kicking a ball about at five year old, but they probably never played organised football until ten or eleven. So you were getting them at sixteen, seventeen. They'd maybe only played the game properly for five or six years. You know, organised football is now starting at seven, eight year old, uh, and you're getting players a lot more advanced now. Uh, obviously, the numbers playing football, uh, women's football is getting bigger and bigger. So the talent pool's far more far-reaching, uh, and it's just a real good challenge for a coach uh, in terms of making sure that you're continuing to develop these players, even though the level of player is getting better all the time. Uh, I think the level of goalkeeper, the improvements in the goalkeepers are huge. The physical capabilities of the players now are completely different to what they were before. You know, you talk about Donny Bells and Arsenal, when they were both at the top of the game, those teams were training two nights a week. You know, we, we do what they did in a week, we now do in a day. So obviously physically the players are, are much better, physical specimens now as well. So again, it's going like the men's game. The men's game compared to the 70s, you can question how good the players are compared to then, but one thing you can't question is the players are fitter, they're stronger, they're faster. Um, just finally then, um, if we had a, a woman coach in the men's game, we'd be talking, asking questions, what that's like, what's it like to be a male coach in, a, in the women's game? Yeah, you know what, it's got, a lot of, it's got a lot of different challenges, but a lot of real positives as well. I think the... I think the women's. I feel the women's game is is a lot less fickle. I think it takes you longer to get the players' trust. But I feel once you've got it, you've got it for life. Mm. Uh, in the men's game, you know, having played as well at semi-pro level, it's a bit like, you know, the manager was the best thing one week, and then he dropped you, and he was the worst manager ever. Mm. I don't think it's quite like that in the women's game. Communication is absolutely massive. They want to know why they're doing things. Uh, they want to know what is going to benefit them and the communication is really really important uh, but there is also a there is also a, a want and a thirst for information in terms of so I think that's a real positive you might have to communicate more mm. but I think it's in a positive way uh, you know, having to explain to thing explain to them they basically want to know that you care uh, they basically want to know that they're being treated as an individual and not just a number in the team. Uh, so that's probably the biggest challenge is is that communicating and and sp- speaking in a way that they know that you actually care about them. And just finally, Everton, uh, what's the what's the uh, what's the goal next season? What, what, you, you mentioned top five. Is that is that the aim? Well, the the aim. I've been very vocal about it. The aim is to break into the top half of the table, so top six. I think having two years in a row where the teams finished second bottom, I think that's an ambitious target to go from eleventh to sixth in a 12-team league but I think it's doable it will be tough but you know every team will, every manager and every team will probably be sitting down going oh yeah we'll do much better than last year so uh, the start of the season always brings that fresh enthusiasm doesn't it mm. everybody thinks they'll get to win their first game so uh, yeah I think I think top half The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo so there you go, exciting times in ahead of the new WSL season for Everton. Well, now for over 40 years, Jimmy Martin's been involved in our great club. He began his time with the Blues, driving the Everton coach back in the late 70s. 
It's been an incredible journey for the 70-year-old and one I was privileged to work alongside him for part of. Sitting at home in Lancashire in his Everton-themed outhouse, complete with bar and memorabilia area, we reminisced about his time at the club, starting way back when he got behind the wheel of the Everton Evesway bus. Yeah, I've coached driver for 12 years, Alan. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, met some good people, some good players and all that. And then uh, when I finally got the kit man's job, I thought I'd uh, gone to heaven. It was that good. Uh, Howard Kendall signed me uh, in 89-90 season. And it was just brilliant, the way he'd done it and all that, you know what I mean? So, uh, so you'd been there, you'd been driving the team around on the bus, obviously, before that, in the, you know, in the good years. Yeah, I started driving the, the bus in uh, 1978, uh, when Gordon Lee was the manager then. Oh. And... Uh, and then from there we, we we started we went to Oxford one night and we, we got a draw and it turned everything around because Howard could have gone by then you know what I mean what was it like at that time with Howard I mean how you know as a bus driver did you feel like the nerves like everybody else well uh, you always want to make sure you you, you know when you're bus, driving the bus you know it's not like it is now there was no sat nav- navigation or nothing mm. like that then you know what I mean and you'd be trying to find... I used to do, like, dummy runs to the ground, you know what I mean? <laughs> they, even if it was, like, 10 o'clock at night when you got to... I'd still go and try and do a dummy run to the to the stadium and all that, you know, because you guarantee we're away from home. We'd go and do the training the next day in, a, like, a local school or something like that. So it was good, and then uh, you, you had to find your way to all the grounds. So um, I went with uh, 12 months with Sir Williams, who uh, was he retired to him, and I took over when he... So the, the, the club let me go to all the away games and find out where all the stadiums and the hotels and that was, because they used the same hotels nearly, you know, all the time, you know, so that's... Uh, it was good, enjoy, enjoyed it. And how good were the buses then? How good were the coaches? It was a state of art, I suppose, even in that time. Well, well they were. We, I mean, they, we used to get a brand new one every couple of years at them days, you know what I mean? Uh, it had... It was just as good as what they are now because it had uh, a proper full, fully kitchen in it, and and when our come back, we had a, we had a chef in the kitchen making all the meals and all that. Uh, before that, we used to like go to the Asda or the Tesco and, and get red ready meals and put it through a microwave. We had one microwave on the on the bus, and uh, and then that was it, you know. But uh, yeah, it would go. The, the coach would shift, and I, I bet. You know, at the time when we were winning leagues and European trophies, I bet it must have been fantastic to be driving the bus around at that point. Oh, it was. I mean, when we went to when the players went to Rotterdam, I dropped them off and then uh, the airport and picked them up at two o'clock in the morning from Rotterdam, mm. and it was unbelievable. People, it was the old airport then, you know, where they had like the balcony and the balcony was chocker block and all that, and it does send shivers down your back. You know, what I mean, mm. to to know that. Uh, all the Evertonians are, are all come up like halfway through the night. Probably some will be going starting work at six o'clock in, in the morning. You know what I mean? And that's what the fans are like at the moment. Aren't they? they just love the club, don't they? Um, and and you know, were you part of the celebrations? You know, because obviously you, you you're the you're the coach driver at that time. But did they include you in the celebrations? Because very much a team thing, wasn't it? Our, our Kendall included me in every single thing. If we went to Wembley, he made sure I got a new suit. So I think I've still got some of them hanging up in the wardrobe. <laughs> but uh, no, Howard was absolutely class man. He was so good to me. He, he was like I was like like a family. I mean, we went to Belfield. It's, it's different from Finch Farm. Finch Farm's like massive. You get three Belfields or four Belfields in Finch Farm. 
it was like you know, you you seen everybody every day, the same people every day, and we we had Mary in the kitchen making our sandwich. We never had like a proper cooked meal, and it was a sandwich with a big hand on the, <laughs> on your bread <laughs> before she cut it. Yeah. So no, it was good. And and coming back with the FA Cup, I suppose, did you put it on the front of the uh, on the front of the bus there, the oh, yeah. Pride of Place? Yeah, we had it on the front of the bus, and uh, it was just great. To go just. Driving down to Wembley on the 84 Cup final, I mean, I've seen a few videos since then, and just hanging from the mirrors on the on the bus and things like that. You know what I mean? It was just that that was an experience, you know, mm-hmm. a driving experience for me especially, but just an experience to to go to Wembley and, and win the FA Cup. It was I've never forgot never forgot that day ever. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, so so you go fast forward a little bit to 89, as you say, and what what was the sort of what was the decision-making process like when Howard came up and said, do you want to leave what you're doing and do you want to be our kit man? I mean, how- well, to be honest with you, I was a painting decorator when I left school. So in the summer when the lads used to get off, I'd go to like Howard's house. Mm-hmm. I'd go to Colin's house. I'd go to Andy Gray or Sharpie's house. I used to do all the decorating. <laughs> so that, that was my job in the summer. So yeah. I, so it was near the end of the season when Howard actually said to me, he says, uh, do you want to come and do a job for us? So I thought, I said, which room do you want me to do? I said, the, the, the bedroom or the bathroom? And he went, oh, no, no, I've got a proper job for you. I want you to join the club as our kit man. Really? And this was on like a like a Saturday morning. And he said, uh, "Come, can you get, get here tomorrow? I was going to go with the reserves to Manchester United. Because at them days, if the first team played Manchester United at Goodison, the reserves played at Old Trafford. Yeah. So I'd be go, going away with the reserves. So he said, come and see me about 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, I'll be here. Anyway, uh, I went and he said, and, uh, get someone to give you a lift. Not thinking about it anymore. So I got I got a mate of mine to t- take me in. Because I had like an old an old uh, mini at the time. I, I like a... Like, was a wreck. A wreck. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, that's all you could afford them days, you know. What I mean? But um, when I got got to Belfield on the Sunday morning, we had a secretary then called Jim Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Remember Jim? And Jim, yeah. Jim, Jim was there with the, with the contract and all that, and he, he said, uh, "Have a look at this." And uh, I only went through about it was about twenty pages. I think I only read, read about the first and second page, and then I signed it. <laughs> Did you have one of those um, special photographs with the secretary, like Dave Harrison does now with the players? Did you have no. a little photograph with <laughs> no. Jim? No, we had we had a big picture in the in the first program I was working as a kit man, <laughs> and that was it. What was the operation like in those days, Jim? In the first days, what how big an operation was the kit? You know, it was it was massive when I first started because I didn't know anything about it. Mm. You know, we we had the kids used to go down to a laundrette in Eaton Road with a load of pound coins, really? spend most of it on the chocolate and the, <laughs> and the newspapers, <laughs> yeah, and then the washing machine was just full full of clothes. But and then when I started, uh, I I just organised everything. Um, I remember a lad called Dave Ash who used to be our cleaner. Dave, yeah. And I said to Dave, I said, We can't be having this, Dave, all these kids. You know, they were putting everything in the dryer. Mm. So by the end of the week the, the the clothes were just like rock hard. You could bounce them on the floor. And and as far as the first team of course, you you know, because I guess who who were the kit suppliers at that point then? When was that would that be Umbro? Umbro. Yeah. Umbro, yeah. that's that's yeah. why I I'm still in love with Umbro. I think Umbro were the best best uh, for for working with them. 
Proper football proper brand. Football brand yeah, proper yeah, football yeah. brand. No everything about football. You know, you, you can just... I mean, I, I speak to a lad called Chris Stewart. He was a boy at, at Umbro when I first met him. And now he's he's back at Umbro now this day. So I speak to Chris nearly every other day. You know what I mean? So it was good. And what were the new mans like from the players in those days? You know, from I suppose you'll be with the Cotties and people like that at that point. Yeah. Wasn't it? You know, yeah. what was the demands like uh, well, from the players for kit? I mean, was it like it is today or no? They had like two sets of training kit, and if it wasn't washed, they had to dry it quick. The the, the lads had to do all that yeah. until we actually got a, a a proper laundry in. So we ended up going out to town to Elrondi and Sennels called Ravenhead right. um, and the, the, the lad who owned it well he was a son then but he, he owns it now David Reed. so I've just stuck with David Reed ever since and he'd done all our laundry all our training kit and then that used to bring it back about 4 o'clock every day so I never used to let the kids go until the laundry had come back they used to make all the kits up and all that and we got it really well organised you know with the, in those days we you, you were sort of always... I remember when I came to the club, you were always someone who players could go and talk to and just, you know, get on with and, and, and talk about things maybe that they wouldn't talk to other people about. Did you did you have many relationships with a lot of the players? Oh, lo- loads, loads. Mm. Sharp. Were there any special ones that you sort of... Well, Sh- Sharpie, and, I mean, Graeme Stewart and, and Snods, and, you know, they, they were all there when I first started. Uh, Graeme Stewart was later, he coming later, like, but... I used to. They used to respect me, and I used to respect them. And they, if I could help them, they knew I was there to help them, and they would help me. I mean, obviously, I know you'll hold Howard up as as the best manager. But who were the other managers that you you really enjoyed working with? Enjoyed working with Archie Knox and Walter Smith. Mm. They they were just like a double act. They 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 were, were they were they were funny. You knew the players. You knew the characters. You know, you saw them every day, and the way they dealt with. Yeah. The, the system, you know, so I suppose they, I guess they helped, you helped them in, in many ways. Well, we did, I did, I, I knew every player and, and we used to do home because I've been with the club 30 years now, even like now, I'll phone the kit man up who's, who's had different people, different players and all that. So I know what them players are like mm-hmm. when they come to the club. I know if they can take this or they can do it or yeah. they're not like that. I, you know, I, 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 like I phoned Vic from Arsenal uh, a couple of weeks ago, like I was in Spain on my holidays, and he's got a place. So I phoned him up and went, uh, "What's Lewis Bournemouth like?" He went, "Jimmy, he's absolutely lovely, lovely man." So uh, anyway, when I went back in on Monday, he come in the kit room and went, "I know all about you. <laughs> I know all about you." And he just looked at me and he laughed. And I, it was Vic who told me to say this to me. That I said. I said, Vic from Arsenal. I oh, said, ah, oh, Vic, Vic, mm. what a wonderful man. Yeah. I said, well, he's not as good as me. Yeah. <laughs> but there's an affection. Well, he's right. Uh, you're right. But there's an affection, isn't there, for the kit man? You know, and, and I think people underestimate how important the likes of you are at football clubs. And, that, you know, we mentioned Mary before. And, yeah. you know, the likes of those people, they were, they were the real sort of core of a football yeah. club, weren't yeah. they? Well, you know, I had my, my 70th birthday not long ago and I invited people who was at Belfield, mm. people I've worked with over the years, mm. but I wanted to invite everybody, yourself, mm. you know, people that yeah. I've worked with yeah, all over the years. Night. And we had a great, great night, you know what I mean? We had some fun, we had laughs and we had players talking on a video and that, you know what I mean? Mm. Who you, you still speak to nowadays, you know what I mean? Like, like Lee Carsley, I've done a little thing with Lee and... Little yeah. things like that, yeah. you know what I mean? Good characters. Um, yeah. As far as the kits are concerned, how have they changed over the years? Because, like you say, there was a couple of 
couple of kits maybe, you know. But, I mean, I remember when I first came to the club, Saturday morning, which it usually was, um, we'd be away from home, and we, and you, me, Neville Southall, Bluey the bus driver, and we'd all go down on a Saturday morning, we'd have a cup of tea in the changing rooms, and we'd put the kit out. I mean, that was very different yeah. to what it is now, isn't it? Yeah, but, well, I mean, you know, uh, I was a big big friend of Neville's. Mm. Uh, he, we used to do things together. Me and Neville used to, like, go down and do the warm-up and things like that, and we, mm. we'd have a cup. We, we'd sometimes go to a little cafe and have a cup of tea and a bait and butter or something like that mm. yeah. in the morning of the game. Yeah. I'd go, Nev, I know a little cafe down the road here. Like, we went to yeah. one in Portsmouth on the docks, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he loved it. Nev loved that, because mm. Nev wasn't a drinker. No. He just drunk tea. Mm. That was that was his beverage was tea, yeah. and he was great when he when you went anywhere. Nev, 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 we 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 used to go to different places. Nev would always make sure you you were looked after because he didn't drink. Yeah. So it, it was great. Nev but, but, was great. But to see a, a world class goalkeeper like that, yeah, you know, help him put the kit out, and you know, I mean, it was it was a bit surreal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But that's what he was. You know, he was he was he was he was a different fella. Mm. He wouldn't think he was a proper professional football player because mm. he wanted to, to do things that he would do with not being a, a player you know what I mean he wanted to be with the lads he wanted to, to have a laugh and a joke and all that he wasn't serious but I'll tell you why he was he was a great goalkeeper yeah he was he certainly was who, who were your best sort of friends that you made at the club throughout the years with you know non-playing side did you have many, you know, people like Les Helm? I guess you know all those sort of people. Me, me and Les, uh, Les Helm was an absolute fantastic man. Good physio, didn't take any messing about. Proper scouser. Mm. If he didn't like you, he, he, you know, he he didn't like you, mm. and if he, if he liked you, you were in. I mean, he used to love Duncan. Yeah, well, I, I love Duncan. I, I think there was a sort of um, again a down to earth side to yeah, Duncan, wasn't yeah, there? And I think yeah, I think yeah. you know in in every football club there are people who what you call real people. What was your favourite Everton kit in all the years? Which was your favourite? I don't mean brand. I mean you yeah, know, which 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 uh, one? I mean you've had many, haven't you? You know, I'm sure. But uh, you the ninety five the ninety five cup final, I liked it because we did really? something in it. The Danker yeah. one, you know, yeah. I loved that. Yeah. But my away one was the the the, the salmon navy stripe. Really? Because uh, that that was I've still got the picture on the wall at Fridge Farm. You've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Where there's there's me, there's Dave Fogg, there's Colin Harvey, Jimmy Gabriel, um, and we're all got this kit on. Yeah. And uh, I would just to say. I look a million dollars in this, don't I? Like, so he, he made us all have a picture with it. And John Bailey yeah. was in it as well, you yeah. know what I mean? And I've, I've got it at, at the training. And ground. it was an unusual colour, wasn't it? Yeah. Salmon pink. I remember yeah. the big sort of uh, yeah. hoo-ha about it yeah. when it come out. And yeah. do, were you worried about it? You know, when you come out and you heard, oh, we're going to do... What was your reaction when you well, heard that it was going to be a salmon I, pink? You see, we, I get to see all the kit 12 months before we actually get it, you see, because when I ordered a kit, it's done for 12 months. So I knew exactly what it was like, and I thought, this is a good kit, this. This will go down well because mm. we used to play in Simon Navy years ago. Mm. So so yeah. that that's why I thought, yeah. well, that's why they've done it. Yeah. And ever since then, the Simon Navy kits have done very well for the club. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, the players that you've come across, can you pick out two or three players that really mean something to you, you know, in that time? Yeah, that's not hard to do that one. Kev Campbell, Graveshire, like, uh, he, he used to go on holiday. Paul Gerard, another one who used to love Paul. Yeah. Uh, Gary Speed, not yeah, here with us yeah, anymore. Yeah. What a great, great lad he was. He was yeah. Absolute brilliant yeah. lad. Uh, Kevin Coban, Lee Carsley, Tim Cahill. 
the, the other thing was, uh, I, I remember, was when players gave their kit away at the end of the uh, at the end of the match you weren't always happy about that were you oh no that actually done me I did you know like you, you still get them now Richardson throws them in the crowd and all that we, we, when Sharpie and all them used to play season all, we, they had one, one a season and that yeah, was it yeah. if they give it away they had to buy the next one and I think one of the biggest culprits of that was a guy called Paul Gascoigne I think if I remember rightly he used to, do, he used to give everything away didn't he well, well I've got a little story about Gaza uh, when when we we signed Paul Gascoigne, we were in we were in a, a place called Choco in Italy on pre season, mm. <clears throat> and Walter Smith said, "I've got a job for you." He said, uh, "I had to go to his room and he sat there and he said, I've got a job for you. I've signed a player and it's your job to look after him." And I'm thinking, "Oh, it's going to be a, a greatness." And when I found out it was Paul Gascoigne, I'm, wow, <laughs> it was the hardest job yeah. I ever done Only in a week. Mm. <clears throat> he was uh, he was to, he was just up to everything. And I remember Friday nights when we were away in a hotel, you had one job that you had to do, wasn't it? Around about 10 o'clock, if I remember rightly. You had to go to his room and oh, make sure he was yeah, still in it. Yeah, I had to go to his room, make sure he was still in it. And one night uh, I've gone to his room and he went, do me a favour, go get me some scissors and some paper glue. And I didn't know what he was doing, but he was, he was like a little rabbit and a little rat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. At night you could hear him fiddling about. And we had a team <laughs> photograph on the wall at Choco. You yeah. probably saw it yourself. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And uh, what he was doing, he was, we're like Archie Knox, he was cutting his head and putting Franny Jeffers' head on it and all that, and Walton putting some, and everybody had a different head yeah. to, a, to a body. He and was hard work. He was up, he just kept walking past it and giggling. And then we just clicked on, what, what's, he, what's he gigging at? You know, because mm. from a distance you couldn't tell. When you got close up to it, you spotted a man, Archie Knox went, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. He was hard work, wasn't he, Paul? Uh, but when you look back, and did you think when you started that you would still be at the club 30 years later? Did that? Could you no, ever even imagine no, that? No, I still love it. I still enjoy working with everybody and still love the club. The club's different class when you I mean I know all the kit men in the Premier League and when you listen to them talking and all that I mean, I'm actually at the best club without a doubt and you're the godfather I think aren't you don't they call they you call the godfather the God, they call me the godfather well I am the godfather because I know more than any they'll ever learn together so <laughs> but let me just take you back a couple of years because you had a you had a a, a little bit of a, a rough time didn't you you were playing uh, head tennis, I think, in yeah. in the thing, and, and and you had a like a sort of heart attack. Yeah, you know, what, what happened? I, that that was about five years ago. Uh, we were, Jimmy Coleman, mate, myself used to used to play head tennis. Uh, Howard got us playing head tennis, that, and, that, mm. and and it just it's like a bug. When Howard played that, we all we used to have the staff against the players, and we'd have whoever won the money used to go into the Michael Love trip. For the mm. you know, we used to beat the British. Howard used to cheat. Howard was a, was a massive cheat. <laughs> So anyway, we 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 used to, and all the staff would cheat. You know that was the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. If this it was in, you go that was out, and yeah. carry on. Yeah. No, that was in. That was and that's all. It was, was the more, competitiveness. It was a competitive. It? Yeah, it was really yeah. competitive. So me and Jimmy Comer used to play on a Friday, and we play all the young lads and all that for a five and a head. Mm. Um, it was eleven eleven goal. Once you got to eleven, they were off. You beat them eleven nil because we were. If it hit that brick, you knew it was going to bounce. Yeah. So we used to beat all these kids out, and we played for four and a half hours one day. Wow. And the, the day when I, I just felt weak as anything, and uh, we was actually playing Robbie Gillespie the grandson and Matt Connolly who was a physio, mm. and I just went weak and I, and I went oh my god, so Robbie Gillespie come on come on, serve it now. 
No, I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> well, I had like a blood wow. clot in, in, yeah. near my heart. Yeah. So now I just leant against the wall and Matt Connie went, he's, he's got a problem, he's got a problem. Mm-hmm. And within that, within an hour, I was in Broadgreen Hospital wow. having a stent put into me, mm-hmm. into my body. And Lucky it, that Matt was around and, and could see that. Richie yeah. Porter, yeah. I've got to thank Richie because he's the one that's looked after me yeah. ever since. He's been, he's been brilliant. Uh, and I feel great now. I'm I was going to say, just a few... You know, short months later, there you are lugging yeah. the uh, the suitcases on the bus again. Yeah, back on and back on, yeah. Did, did you? Were you determined to to not stop that and to keep? Oh, you yeah. know, because I mean, yeah. a lot of people that would have been yeah. it. You know, no, no, no. I, I I said to the doctor, when can I start exercising? You know what I mean? And he went, when do you want to start exercising? Just do this and just do that and just do that. And I'd done everything he said, and I'm I'm a different fellow now. What was the Best time at Everton for you? What was what was what, what what's your best memory of Everton? What has been the best thing about working at Everton? My best memory of Everton was uh, when we played Tottenham mm. at Leeds United's ground. Mm. That was that was actually absolutely. I'd say that was better than the final. Yeah, it was an amazing. It was day, an amazing it? day, and we all went into town in Liverpool at night to a, an Italian restaurant. And uh, I remember Graham Stewart falling down the stair on one step, and uh, it was just, it was just absolutely unforgettable day. Yeah. And I'm a catchy, and I still speak to Daniel. He was at the ground not long ago. Yeah. Uh, he was a great lad, Daniel. I'm a catchy. What were you thinking when he was uh, <laughs> making himself a substitute when he wasn't supposed to? Well, I was doing the subs then. I exactly. was actually doing the subs. And uh, Joe said, "Don't no 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 no." And it was he were looking at uh, Paul Rideout yeah. and Les Elm. Yeah. So then next thing, Daniel's just gone on. So Joe went, "Who's put him on? Who's put him?" He like had a little, <laughs> little dig at me, but he he didn't say it was me. <laughs> when he'd already scored the two goals to get us to the final, it wasn't me. Then it, it was, was Joe. A fantastic substitution. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. Joe yeah, who'd yeah, done yeah. The, yeah. the substitution. How yeah. nerve wracking is that when you're doing the subs? Because you know people are looking; they don't think it's a big thing. But I mean, you've got to get it right, haven't you? I, oh, yeah. I remember yeah. the pressure that you'd yeah. be under, you yeah. know, uh, when those sort of things happen, yeah. and, and you have to get it right, don't you? Oh, you've you're got in front to do of, it right. Yeah, you know, forty thousand. Yeah, you're, you're being ones are even worse when you've got to do the board as well as mm-hmm. fill the form and then do the board as well you know what I mean mm-hmm. I used to do all the team sheets and, and fill all them and give them yeah. to the referees so I knew all the referees and all that you know what I mean was, well, I used to do quite a lot like that because I, I pick all the squad numbers I, I used to give the players the squad numbers and uh, sort of had some some come to me for a, with a squad number like Phil Neville when he signed he went uh, can I have number 18 well we had Gascoigne in 18 didn't we of course, yeah. Rooney was 18 mm-hmm. And Joe, Joe Parker went, oh, lad, I've seen you play. And you're never, you're never ever at 18. And you know what else you are? You're a man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and since that day, me and Phil Neville have got on yeah. so close. Yeah, I remember him letting, saving the, the, the goal that went in, you know, for the penalty mm. against Liverpool. Mm. And the next day, we had a bird of goalkeeper's glove with Phil Neville's name put on him. <laughs> He's uh, Neville number one on the back and all that, in the shorts and all that. And when he come in the day, he, he couldn't believe it. He, mm. he he just was taking pictures and sending them to his mum and his dad and all that. Yeah. He said, look at this mm. here, you know. And that's that's the kind I of I suppose it got, got him over the you know the yeah, disappointment yeah, of yeah, it you know move yeah. on and he still I think I see an, an interview with him the other week and said it's the best decision he's ever made signing for Everton Football Club mm. but he's not only him there's, there's there's tons of people say you know when you've been to Everton it's the best club was it the best decision you ever made signing yeah, for Everton without, Football without Club a doubt. signing your contract with without Jim Green it's been an Evertonian as well it's even better than it mm. but uh, oh, I've never looked back. And you're not stopping any time soon? I'm not intentionally stopping, no. Oh, they'll have to get me out of the box. 
the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, so many people like Jimmy who are so important at every football club, so special in the fabric of a football club. The godfather of Kitmen. Let's hope he uh, goes on for quite a while just yet. Well, that's it for episode five of the Alan Myers Everton podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, comment on Twitter at The Echo's Twitter Everton account and also my Alan Myers Media account if you've got any comments about it. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We'll speak soon. Up the toffees. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.